Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or, or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? The Amplified in verses 8 and 9. I tell you, although he will not get up and supply him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his shameless persistence and insistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and keep on asking, and it shall be given you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you shall find. Knock. And keep on knocking, and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks and keep on asking, and keeps on asking, receives. And he that seeks and keeps on seeking, finds. And to him who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door shall be opened. Live in New Testament, verse 8. But I tell you this, though he won't do it as a friend, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you everything you want just because of your pers persistence. And so it is with prayer. And so it is with prayer. And so it is with prayer. Keep on asking and you will keep on getting. Keep on looking and you will keep on finding. Knock and the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives. All who seek find. And the door is open to everyone who knocks. And so it is with prayer. Everybody say, and so it is with prayer. Praise God. I want to talk to you tonight about the law of persistence or importunity. Dear Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your blessings. Thank you for what you've done for us tonight. This day, you've been so kind to us and good to us, and we love you for it. Thank you, Jesus. We know we're not worthy of your love, but you loved us before it was ever a question of whether or not we were worthy. And you still love us tonight, and you will always love us. And we love you tonight, Jesus. And we're asking you to speak to our hearts.
You see our need. You see our weaknesses. You see our difficulties. But we cast ourselves on your mercy, and we implore you for your grace to help us tonight, God, to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In Jesus' name. I'll talk to you a little bit about the law of persistence or importunity. It is, there is no restriction on God's ability to do anything for us that we ask. There's no restriction. There isn't anything that God can't do for us. He will do anything that we ask Him to do. And it is not a question of persuading God. You and I, nor anyone else, has ever persuaded God to do anything. It is not a question of God needing to be persuaded. In fact, one man I heard recently made the statement that prayer and fasting does not persuade God, it persuades us. We pray and fast so God can persuade us, so that He can persuade us to believe, so that He can persuade us to, uh, to love Him, and persuade us that He loves us, and persuade us to accept mercy, and persuade us to repent so that we can be forgiven. Prayer and fasting persuades us, not God. If that really is true, then persistence in prayer is not for God's benefit. And an answer to prayer being delayed is not because God is playing hard to get. But the delay of an answer in prayer is because God is trying to accomplish something in our life that would not be accomplished if the answer came easy. And if it came quickly, God is able to answer a prayer while it's still simply a thought in your mind before it's ever been voiced into words. It is not of any benefit or value to God to make you beg. God does not bless beggars. Begging is an act of unbelief. When you get into a place of begging, it proves you don't really believe. Asking is not begging. It is very good manners to say to someone that you're asking something from, please. But to a degree, please is more than politeness. Please has a connotation to me when it comes to asking God to do something. It has a connotation of begging. We cannot, of course, demand of God on, on uh, no foundation at all. We must have grounds upon which to ask of God. And those, that grounds, of course, is the grounds of His invitation to us to ask and to believe. It is not good enough to simply ask. You must also believe that you're going to receive what you're asking for. Amen. Sometimes the reason that there is a delay in the answer to our prayers is because there is something that is faulty about our faith. And there is something about the asking that is solidifying and strengthening to our faith. Uh, it would seem as though to me that uh, if you really want something from God, there is something about the delay that acts as a sift, as a sieve, as a test upon your faith to cleanse you and the hindrances to your faith out of your life so that your faith can operate unhindered. 
The problem that we have is this, because most of us really don't have as good of an opinion of ourselves in a spiritual dimension in which God would have us to, because we have a difficult time really believing that we are children of God, that we are sons of God, that we are uh, the part of the bride of Christ, that we are saints of God, because we, we have a difficult time in accepting those things, we take delay as being disapproval. Amen. Delay, we interpret delay as disapproval. That is far from the case. I think a, an example here would be very important. Daniel wanted an answer from God. And in, I believe it was the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel, he prayed and fasted 21 days for an answer from God. It took 21 days of praying and fasting to receive his answer. If delay in an answer is a sign of God's disapproval, then it would be possible to say, therefore, that the, the, uh, the conclusion would be that something was wrong with Daniel. Okay? Uh, I don't believe that was the case. First of all, there's no fault, sin, or any derogatory remark or even thought or connotation of thought from God toward the man Daniel in the book of Daniel or any other place in the Bible, for that matter. But it took him 21 days to get an answer. In this particular case, the delay was a result of, uh, of the enemy, uh, the, the, the kingdom of darkness, knowing the impact that this answer would have in detriment to his kingdom and fighting against that answer. So you see, there could be two major reasons, that's what I'm trying to say to you, for the need for persistence in prayer in a particular area. Either God is trying to, co to correct something in your life, or maybe it's not a question of correcting it. Maybe He's trying to mature something in your life. Maybe He's trying to strengthen something in your life. And so therefore the delay is intended to strengthen you, to purify your faith, to make you closer to God, stronger to God, so on and so forth. I've taught and believed for years that the act of asking and the, the, uh, the relationship that takes place in prayer is much more important and what God does in your life while you're praying is more important than the answer to the prayer. It is a simple thing to, for God to answer a prayer. It's even simpler for God to never let the problem be a need. But the reason He has geared us thus so that there would be needs in our lives is because He realizes this stuff we live in is called flesh. It has its weaknesses. It's, it has its problems. It needs encouragement and motivation at times to pray when it would not at other times. Because God knows that we must be in a prayerful attitude for Him to be able to talk to us like He wants to. So a lot of times when you're praying, God's not holding the answer back on you because He doesn't want to answer. He's holding the answer back because of what He's trying to do in your life while you're praying to get the answer. When we take this delay as being a personal rejection by God of us, 
we're listening to the accuser of the brethren. And the problem with that, of course, is it causes you to stop praying before God's able to do what He's trying to do. I will assure you, if it's worth praying about, it will be answered. If you want it bad enough to ask for it the first time, I can assure you, I can guarantee you that it'll happen. I said it. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I wasn't just popping off the mouth. I can promise you that if you're asking for it, it'll happen. I cannot promise you when. I can promise you it will happen. I cannot promise you when. So to say that if you've prayed for something for 10 years that God hasn't answered is not true. It will happen. God will answer. He will do what you're asking Him to do. But what I'm saying to you tonight is this. There is something that He is trying to do in your life in the interim between the asking and the receiving that is more important than the receiving. Some of us don't let anything get close enough to us that we become that desperate over it. Some of us don't allow anything to become so important to us that we become that persistent to receive it. But let me tell you something, friend. It is a tremendous blessing in this life to allow something, especially something spiritual, to become so very important to you that you want it bad enough that nothing will deter you from asking for it. That nothing will keep you from going to the place of prayer and asking for it and believing for it and fellowshipping with God till you receive it over and over and over again till it happens. It's a tremendous blessing. God wants us to be motivated that highly. Since most of us have a problem with fear of failure, we're afraid to ask because we're afraid it won't happen. But I'm telling you tonight that God is saying to you that even if the friend won't get up and answer the door because he's your friend, he will get up and answer the door because of your persistence. Amen. The word persistence is, a, is defined this way. A steady perseverance in a course of action. Doggedness. Steadfastness. Tenacity. It implies resolute and unyielding holding on in following a course of action. Persistence commonly suggests activity maintained in spite of difficulties. Steadfast and long-continued application, endurance and perseverance combined to win in the end. The law of spiritual persistence is defined as those who persist through prayer, faith, and diligence and pers personal growth until they succeed. Almighty God, the universe, and all of His elements will bend and yield to those who are spiritually 
persistent. What I am saying to you is there is, an a, there is absolutely nothing that you cannot accomplish that's worth accomplishing if you're willing to pay the price of persistence in prayer. Whatever you want. If there's a fault in your life that you won't change, if, the, if your family life is not what it needs to be, if you've got an unsaved mother or father or children or uncle or aunt or, or son or daughter, brother or sister or neighbor, relative, whatever, enemy, there's not an enemy of yours alive that prayer can't change and make that person one of your closest friends. If you want it bad enough, you can change it. There is not a bank account so empty that God can't change it if you're willing to be persistent in prayer. The problem is, so often, because of the way we feel about ourselves and our tendency towards defensiveness and our tendency towards uh, re feeling rejected and our fe tendencies toward feeling uh, that God does not approve of us, and so, therefore, when our answer doesn't come right away, uh, we automatically go on the defensive against God and anybody else. Because of all of that, we end up missing out on so many positive things that God would do. We also missing out, miss out on the healing that He would bring about in our lives if we could just stay with it until we get the answer and He's able to prove that He loves you just as much as He loves anybody else. It just depends on how badly you want it. We talked to you a little bit about the chicken and the egg. God put the chicken inside the egg. Did you know that? How many knew that? Some of you didn't know that, did you? All of you that didn't know that, let me see your hands. Now, if you didn't raise your hand that you knew it, you should be raising your hands that you didn't know it. Does some of you know you have a hand? If, if that person has not reached, raised either hand, would you please bump them and say, where are you? What is your name, rank, and serial number? Date of birth. We want to make sure that you're here. They might be dead. We might need to have a funeral. Might not know, they might not know what's going on here. Ask them where they are. See if they tell you they're at church. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> You know, if you're, a, if you're a chick and you're inside the egg, that's a pretty nice place to be for a while. There's room to grow inside there. It's very safe, very comfortable, very secure. But there comes a point when what was once comfortable and secure becomes confining and restricting. Something inside that chicken, inside that egg says, I've got to get out of here. I've got to grow. I've got to go beyond this point. What happens then? The chicken begins to break out of his shell through perseverance and persistence. God ordained that it takes some effort for the chicken to get out of the egg. Do you know why? Because in the struggle of the exercise to get out of the out of the shell, the chicken gains the strength 
that is necessary to survive once he's free from the shell. Now, I've never raised any chickens. Some of you might have. It's been told me that if you break the shell for the chicken, the chick usually will die. What's the difference? I mean, it's no big deal. The chicken is clucking around in there, you know, moving around. You can see that, holding up the light, watching moving, all that's no big deal, right? What is the big deal about breaking the shell and helping the chicken out of the egg? I'll tell you what the big deal is. God made that shell, which seems like a barrier, to be there to give the chicken strength so that it could survive when it gets out of there. There are some very great promises that it would be very great for God to give you, and you'd like for Him to give them to you easy. But what you don't understand is this. If there are some prayers that if God answered easily for you, you would not have the strength to survive them. Once the promise came, you wouldn't have the strength to do it. You wouldn't be able to make it. You need the strength that's gained and having to break the shell. Okay. Let me go on with this. What happens when we encounter this resistance? We have one or two choices. We can give up in frustration and defeat. Or we can persist and persevere until the shell breaks and we come out in the open free. You have a choice. I'm talking to some people tonight who have quit. Don't quit. I'm talking to some people that a few weeks ago prayer was easy. You were in fifth gear. There was hardly a strain. You were rolling down the highway of life, enjoying it all. And suddenly you've come on a hill, and fifth gear doesn't work on hills. I promise you. There are a lot of hills fourth gear won't work on. Some gears, some hills, third gear might work, but you might even have to shift down on some hills to second and maybe even first. Do you, know what I'm, you understand what I'm saying? God works in people's lives through difficulties to teach them things they cannot learn any other way. He does not allow valleys and mountains to be put in our path just for the sake of causing us trouble. Hey, let me tell you something. We have got to get this chip off our shoulder in relationship to God. We've got to get rid of this chip. Unless you believe that God loves you, then you, you will take every circumstance and situation in life defensively. It all is, you know, everything is done against me. But if I really believe that God loves me, everything that looks negative, everything that's positive, every circumstance and every situation, if I believe that God loves me, then there is nothing that's done against me. Everything is done for me. If I've come to a hill, maybe I needed to slow down for a while and think about some things. 
If I'm coming off the mountaintop and rushing headlong into the valley, there's something in that valley I need. It may be a stop beside a still, cool stream where I might get some refreshment that I needed that I wasn't getting on the mountaintop. Whatever the need may be, there is no such thing for a person who loves God and the person that knows that God loves them. There is no such thing as anything being against you. It's all for you. And you can truly believe and accept the fact when the Scripture says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Uh, this is really inconvenient to me. I took that bandage off because it was not put on there very well and it was looking like I was a rag muffin. You know what I mean? And this is really inconvenient. I got things to do. Do you understand what I mean? Uh, this is a real... Uh, <clears throat> This could be a real irritant. It would be really easy for me to sit around feeling sorry for myself. Especially when uh, <clears throat> I was trying to think this morning and I couldn't think because I felt like I was frying. And the doctor was so kind to tell me, Oh, I'm sure that hurts. In fact, when your hand gets burned, it hurts worse than any place else because there's so many nerve endings in your hand. I didn't need her to tell me that. I knew that. I didn't know why it was like that, but I knew that. You understand what I'm saying? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I can't tell you all the reasons for that. But I can tell you this. I know that God can take the fire out of any situation. I know that God can give comfort in it. I know now. I know now. I, I, I guess I've been burned before, but I don't think I've ever been burned this badly. I really don't. But I want to tell you something right now. God is able to take the fire, the sting out of it. He's able to do it. I know that now. Well, that's tremendous. That's experience. I put that away in the memory bank of my computer. Takes away fear from some things. That's right. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why everything happens to you and why everything happens to me like it does. But I know this. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. If you're living for God, you're trying to live for God, and you love God, and, I, and whether you can say yes to either one of those two, God loves you. The third is true whether you think the first two are or not. And I know that God wants to work things out in your life in a positive fashion. But I'm going to tell you something, friend. Anybody can skip around the mountaintops like the goats because everything's going their way. But it takes somebody with confidence in God to keep their head up and a smile on their face when they're in the valley. The Lord can do anything. If we took a poll right now of how many people that they're the, they're the most, the things they wanted the most in life they've, uh, they've received or they see it coming 
naturally they, they see it coming. And that was one side of the poll. The other side of the poll was, how many of you, it looks like what you're wanting most in life is the farthest from you and looks the most impossible. I will promise you tonight that this side will have it over this side. That's right. But I'm telling you tonight that God is a prayer answer. He answers prayer. And if you don't get an answer to your prayer today or tomorrow or next week or next month, if you really believe that he believe if you really believe that he answers prayer, you will keep on praying because the answer will come. It will come. It will come. Hello? It will come. God will answer your prayer. There's some of you sitting here, you're, you're not very satisfied with your relationship with God. I, I can understand that. I wouldn't be satisfied your, with your relationship with God either. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I'm glad that you're not satisfied with your, with your relationship with God. But what are you doing about your relationship? Have you chucked it all in? Have you given up? Have you thrown, thrown your hands up and say, What's the use? I'm not special enough for God to love me. He loves so and so and so and so. But I just can't seem to get where this one is or that one is. Let me tell you something, friend. Either I have to accept the fact, and it's not a fact, it's a lie, that God is a respecter of persons. And He is no respecter of persons. If I believe that you can have a relationship with God that I can't, then I have to believe that God's a respecter of persons. So therefore, if you have a relationship with God that I don't have, and I want to have that relationship with God, I either have to blame it all on God, or I have to say, not blame it on me, but say, I don't have it, but if God's willing to give it, I can have it, so therefore I'm going to have it. I am going to seek God till I get it. He said, ask and keep on asking. Keep on asking. Luke chapter 11 is powerful to me. You know why? Because what we think is his teaching on prayer does not stop with ver the verse that says, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's not where he stopped teaching on prayer. When they ask, Lord, teach us to pray, that's not where the teaching stopped. The teaching didn't stop till after he went through the part on importunity about going to a man, uh, the, your neighbor's house and trying to get some bread even after he's in the bed. Uh, the prayer, the teaching on prayer doesn't stop with ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop till it gets down and He assures us that our Heavenly Father is willing to give us good things. He is willing to give us good things. He wants to give us good things. Do you hear me? The definition of importunity is this. To be set with solicitations. To demand with urgency and persistence. To, to ask for something urgently and persistently. Some of us feel like there's no hope for us ever succeeding spiritually. How about Abraham Lincoln? 
would that we would be as persistent spiritually as he was naturally. He, was a, he failed as a storekeeper. He failed as a surveyor. He failed as a soldier. He failed as a businessman. He got in so much debt as a businessman, it took him 17 years to pay off his debt. He ran for the legislature of the state of Illinois and lost. He ran for Congress and lost. He ran for vice president of the United States and lost. But he didn't quit. That's Abraham Lincoln. Let me ask you a question, friend. When you think of Abraham Lincoln and I think of Abraham Lincoln, do we look at him as a failure? Anybody here that looks at Abraham Lincoln as a failure? Uh, nobody does. Everybody looks at Abraham Lincoln as a success. One of the greatest presidents of the United States. But all of his life, everything he tried, he failed at. The only election he ever won was the presidency of the United States. He couldn't even get elected to the state legislature. He tried to get elected to Congress and failed. He tried to become vice president and didn't make it. The only thing he succeeded at was president. That's all. That's all he succeeded at. Not much of a success, was he? I mean, he, he failed at all those other things, right? List again. Storekeeper, surveyor, soldier, businessman... And politician, he failed at all of them. He failed at all of them. Hello? He failed. Do you know what our problem is? We are more attuned to the meaning of failure than we are to the meaning of success. We put too much stock in failure. We take failing too personally. I'm going to tell you one of the most ridiculous things in this whole world. There are guys in this country that are paid $2 million a year to fail seven times out of ten. Seven times out of ten. And everybody thinks there's some hot shot. And every ten times they try to do something, they fail seven times at it. Three times out of ten, they succeed. Seven times out of ten, they succeed. They, they, they fail. And when it comes time to get paid, they think they're worth two million bucks a year for failing seven times out of ten and only succeeding three times out of ten. And everybody talks about how great they are. I promise you, any one of you right now, that could promise the Baltimore Orioles, guaranteed them that every ten times you came to the plate that you would succeed three times and fail seven, you could name your price. You would be the second highest batter on their team this past year. They would hire you in a minute if you had some way of guaranteeing it. Now let me ask you a question. Do they pay you to succeed or do they pay you to fail? Hello? They pay you to try. They what? Pay you to try. They're paying some guys more money than most of us will make in 10 years that don't succeed but 
twice out of every ten times up. Twenty times out of every hundred. Can you imagine failing eighty times out of every hundred? And there are some of you that are so much perfectionist that if every time you go to prayer it's not perfect if the heavens don't open and chill bumps fall on top of your chill bumps and the answers don't get answered the next day you're ready to quit let me tell you something friend if i knew that every three days out of ten i went to pray that heaven was going to open and god was going to answer my prayer it'd be worth going to prayer the other seven days But we are so attuned to this failure thing. We put more stock and more interpretation in our spiritual lives, in our failures, than we do in our successes. And I've already told you about Peter. What do we think of? We think of Peter denying the Lord three times. What does the Lord think of? That home run he hit on the day of Pentecost. Yesterday I was listening to the radio and heard the, the last inning of the Cardinals against the, uh, the Dodgers. And the Dodgers were, were ahead five to four. It was the top of the ninth. All they had to do was get three outs, and they, they pushed the, the series one more game. And I think there was one out. Was there one or two? Two outs. Two outs. A man on second and third. And... A new player for St. Louis this year. They paid a lot of money to get in that guy named Jack Clark to play first base for him. He hadn't hit a home run in over a month. He was their home run hitter. Hadn't hit a home run in over a month. It's the last inning of the last game of the year for the Cardinals. It's over with, buddy. It's all over with. There's already two outs. The other team is ahead. All he's got to do is the very fraction of an inch. Just do you know how ridiculous baseball is? You take a round ball and a round bat and try to hit it square. And the fraction of an inch. Do you realize the difference between a pop fly and a home run is probably less than a quarter of an inch? That's the difference between a home run hitter and a guy that pops out. It's less than a quarter of an inch. If you hit it the quarter of an inch right, it goes over the fence. If you get under it one quarter of an inch, it pops up, doesn't reach the fence, a guy catches a ball and you're a goat, not a hero. That's the difference. That's the difference. The guy hadn't hit a home run in a year. His team's down five to four. He's the last man up for the season. And I read in the paper where it said this evening that he saved his best home run, his longest, it was his longest home run of his career and his most important home run for yesterday. And they made the statement that if he hadn't hit a home run all year, it was worth the, all the money they were paying the guy for that one home run. Let me ask you a question. Is there a chance God's saving you for a spot just like that? We can look at failing from, from the world's point of view and say that Stephen was a failure. 
the game's just getting going when we need all the help. And he runs his mouth off, gets everybody mad at him, and they throw more balls than he can catch. And he gets his uh, block knocked off, literally. He dies. And as he's dying, he says, I see heaven open. The Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. I see the glory of God. And he, and, he, and, and he says, you know, Father, forgive them. You know, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. And he dies. Strike three. Right? Strike three. World says strike three. No. Home run. A guy standing there holding the coats named Saul is so convicted that he fights that conviction for years and eventually becomes, is saved and becomes the apostle Gentile. Home run. Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you realize that the worst... It's earlier in that series, a guy that had only hit like eight or nine home runs in all of his career, they play him to catch balls at shortstop. His name's Ozzie Smith comes up in the bottom of the ninth, I think it is, and hits a home run. He's a switch hitter. He had his only home run of his entire major league career left-handed. Let me ask you a question. That home run won the game. Do you think it made a difference to anybody that he'd never hit a home run left-handed before? Uh-uh. You know what mattered? The ball went over the fence. He and the people that were on base crossed home plate. The scoreboard read the score, their score higher than the other team's score. They win. That's all that counts. It doesn't matter how many times Lincoln failed. It's what he finally succeeded at that counts. I've studied tactics a little bit in my time, military tactics. And let me tell you something. The enemy never, never defends a place that's not of strategic importance to him. Never does it. The places that will do you the most damage if you lose them to the enemy is the place that you fortify the strongest. You put your best troops there. You put your heaviest armor there. You fortify it the greatest. You fight the hardest and the longest for it. And there are some of you that are interpreting the fight in your life as meaning you're a failure. When God says the reason the fight's there so long is because of the potential for success of the, for the kingdom that you have when God wins. I can understand being positive and full of faith all the time. And there are some people that are like that. But people that things always go right for bother me. Let me tell you why. I don't have time for those people. If they're not worth any more than that to the devil... 
they're not worth any more than that to me either. If the devil's not fighting them any harder than that, he's not worried about anything they'll ever do for him or against him. So why should I worry with them? They'll never do anything for God either. And they sure can't do anything against God. But you know who I'm for? You show me somebody that's struggling. Hanging on. But seemingly everything constantly goes wrong. But they stick it out in there. You know why? Because that person is eventually going to become a winner. And when they do, somebody's in big trouble. There are some of you here tonight that if you ever get it in your head that you're a winner and not a loser, it will revolutionize your whole being. And do you know where you're going to learn that the quickest? Right here. It's kind of funny to me. I'm a student of people. I like to study people. I, I like to understand people. People in general and people specifically. I like to, I want to know what makes people tick. I want to learn everything I can about people because that's the only way I can help people is to learn all I can. And I don't mean the dirty, gory details of people's problems, but just the principles of behavior and experience and what makes people do what they do and why they act like that. I'll never forget 10, 15 years ago, I was so intimidated by people who seemed to have it all together and so successful. You know what I've learned? There are very few people that really have it all together and are successful. Most people have learned to put such a front on to protect the feeling about themselves that is just the opposite. It really blows your mind sometimes when you realize that some people that you are, would be offended by easily if you didn't know better really have worse problems than you do. People that have grown up, quote-unquote, on the other side of the tracks, and they're on this side of the tracks now, and they don't want anybody to know where they grew up, where they came from, what happened in their lives. They don't want anybody to know. They don't want anybody to know that. Praise God. All of this changes in prayer. It will change in prayer. If you have time, if you will give time to pray, and you will be persistent in prayer, I promise you there will be things that will happen in your life so dramatic that it will it'll be astounding if you'll give it time. If you'll give God an opportunity to work in your life, it'll happen. But there's some of you, I've been like this. Sometimes I'm still like this, but I'm doing better. There's some of you not doing better. You're up when things are going, quote, unquote, your way. You're down when they're not. You haven't learned the secret, have you? Sometimes the things that are going against you are more for you than the things that are going for you. Sometimes 
it really has nothing to do with circumstances of life. It's all a test of how much you'll trust God, how much you'll believe in God, and how much you will get this one now, and how much you will believe in yourself. Say, believe in myself, Brother Wright? What do you mean, believe in myself? Do you know something? If I don't believe I'm a sincere person, am I going to act sincere? Hello? There's some of you sitting here right now, the biggest problem you have in living for God is deep down inside you think you're a fake. You think you're a fraud. When you're really not, you just think that way about yourself. You will not allow your real feelings to manifest themselves because you're so hard on yourself. Now, you may think I'm shooting all over the place tonight, but I'm not. You've got to give God a chance to deal in your life and work for you and work in you. You've got to give God a chance to do something for you. Some of you are so negative. But you don't need to be negative. Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? I'm going to change that a little bit. I know how you may feel about changing the Bible. I don't want to be guilty of changing the Scripture, but I'm going to change it quote it this way if God be for us what can be against us do you know what that tells me the most important thing in life is not determining not trying to determine who or what's for me or against me the most important thing in life is determining whether or not God's for me whether or not I believe God's for me or against me it's even, listen now, it's even more important for you to decide whether or not God's for you or against you than for you to decide whether you're for or against God. Because I'm going to tell you something. You will never know whether you're truly for or against God until you first can decide whether or not God is truly for or against you. All of this is demonstrated by your persistence in prayer. If you're struggling with consistency in prayer, if you're struggling with being persistent in prayer when it doesn't seem the answer's coming, there's one place to turn, and it's right inside here. And I don't mean introspectively. I mean, do I really believe God loves me? Do I or don't I? Do I really believe that God is for me? If you read that last part of that chapter 8 of, of Romans where it says, If God be for, for me, who then can be against me? And you read all the things that Paul says can, cannot separate you from the love of God. That cannot separate you from Jesus Christ. If you read all those things, if you the, the whole key comes down to this. If I can believe that God is for me, there is nothing that's against me. And there's no one against me. Everything that happens, happens for my benefit. Everything. Everything. That's what God's trying to do. And if you're struggling in prayer, and let me say this to you. If there's any question in your mind about what God wants to do in this church, let me dispel all of it. 
God has plans for this church. God, God is giving revival to this church. He cannot do that unless we're a praying church. So if He's promised us revival, that must, means, that's, that must mean that He sees that this church is going to become a praying church. If that's what's necessary, if this church is going to become a praying church, I mean a, a really a praying church, if God sees that we're going to be able to have revival because He's going to be able to make us a, a praying church, then what is the one thing that we will be fought the hardest on? Prayer. But you know something? You can only be fought when it comes to prayer if you allow yourself to be fought on prayer. Hello? I said you can only be fought on prayer if you allow yourself to be fought on prayer. What I'm preaching about today is a, is a decision that says, I will pray. Period. I'll pray. I am going to pray regardless. Whether I feel anything, whether I think God's hearing, whether I see any answers, regardless of how I feel, regardless of how easy it is to pray or not, regardless of how convenient it is or isn't, I am going to pray. If you will do that, it will not take long till you will start getting more base hits. And every once in a while, you'll swing so easy, it'll be a home run, and you won't even have been swinging for the fence. One last thing. If God answered the prayers of perfect people, what would be the temptation? If you and I were faultless, if you and I were so consistent and so perfect that when we prayed and God answered our prayer, what would be our temptation? It would be, the temptation would be of taking credit for God listening to us and God answering our prayers. When God answers the prayers of people with problems, people who are sometimes, who sometimes fail, even though they're not failures, sometimes they fail. Who gets the credit? I'm not speaking in respect of failing and promoting failure. I'm simply telling you, that God is willing to hear your prayer and answer it, and the only qualification He puts on it is your faith and confidence in Him. Everybody say, in Him. In Him. You've got to put faith and confidence in Him. What did Paul say? He said, we put no confidence in the... In the what? We don't put any confidence in the flesh today. When, we're, when everything's going well, any more than we put confidence in the flesh tomorrow when we're struggling. We don't put confidence any, any less in the flesh one way or the other. We can never put confidence in the flesh 
it doesn't matter how you're going, quote unquote. It matters whether or not you believe God loves you and is willing to hear and answer your prayer. And let me tell you something else. If you will just pray, there are so many things in your life that are problems that will take care of themselves. Praise the Lord. When you've got a problem and you let it stand between you and prayer, that problem will only become more serious. It will become more difficult to deal with. When you pray in spite of your problem, your problem will begin to look smaller and smaller and smaller. And eventually, there will be a point that your problem will be less of a problem than you ever dreamed it could be. Just through the act of prayer. Is God holy or unholy? If you take something like me and put it in the presence of God day after day, you know what's going to happen? The same thing that happened to Moses after 40 days on the mount. I will begin to glow and reflect the radiance of the one in whose presence I've been spending so much time. Do you want to change? Do you want to be like God? Do you want to overcome your problems? Spend time with God. Don't, don't, don't qualify you and your, and your worthiness to spend time in the presence of God. Spend time with God. Get into His presence. Worship Him. Talk to Him. Don't, don't go in there assuming that there's something wrong with you and He doesn't want to listen to you. Go in there believing that He loves you. If you will spend time with God, I promise you this. There will be a point that you will begin to reflect His presence, His character, His holiness. And it will be so easy, it will blow your mind. And what does it come back to? It comes back to prayer. God bless you. I, I hope this has helped you tonight. Uh, but... The last couple of services has been a little hard to really know where you are. And I've taught this one tonight by faith. I haven't taught it by sight. Hallelujah. I have taught this one by faith. Praise God. But uh, I can say this. Things are going a lot better than some of you think they are. Praise God. The Lord's on the throne. Everybody say, the Lord's on the throne. That's right. He is for you, for us. Praise God. Lord bless you.